0: Welcome to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. As a veteran senior pastor, Dr. Sullivan understands the importance of Bible teaching in the spiritual growth and development of God's people. Dr. Sullivan's method of teaching the Bible is to read and carefully explain each chapter and verse in clear and understandable terms, so the student of the Bible gains the full understanding of God's Word. Now prepare yourself to learn and grow as Dr. Sullivan teaches through the Bible. Welcome to another session of Teaching Through the Bible. I'm Dr. Ken Sullivan. In this session, I'll be teaching through the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2. I'm reading from the New International Version, so let's begin. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and it reads, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Now, despite the persecution that they faced, Paul and his company, those missionaries who were on the journey, the second missionary journey with him, they suffered strong persecution. Uh, They were mistreated. They were driven out of uh, Philippi, and then they were driven out of Thessalonica to Berea. But despite that strong mistreatment, they were successful in their mission. Uh, They were able to plant good seed, and they got good results. Now, one thing to remember in ministry is that good results are often mixed with suffering and difficulty. Uh, Very often, people may think that because God called them to do something or God sent them to do something, that they're going to be able to just walk right in and get it done. Sometimes we may be blessed to to accomplish a great deal without uh, any real strong difficulty, but uh, the norm is that anything that you're going to do that's worthwhile, any impact that you're having in ministry is, is going to be challenged by the enemy. We're in spiritual warfare. And so it was with Paul when they went in to, to uh, preach the gospel to the Gentiles, uh, first to the Jews, they would go into synagogues and preach, and then they would uh, take the message to the, to the Gentiles. And whenever they went to take the message out, they met with great opposition. Sometimes we will see fruit, the fruit of our labor, and, and immediately, and we'll, sometimes we'll, right away you see that uh, people are blessed, people's lives are changed, uh, but very often we don't see the fruit of our labor until later. You really don't know if the seeds that you sow fell on good soil until you start to see some fruit in people's lives, and of course that's the way it was with Paul and the Thessalonians, He was driven out again of Thessalonica, and he wasn't sure that the fruit had taken hold until they sent Timothy back, and of course, Timothy uh, sent them the message that all was well, that the Thessalonians were standing firm, and Paul and his company were rejoicing over that. Planting the seed that resulted in good fruit was hard. Paul reminds the Thessalonian saints of how badly they were treated while trying to bring the gospel to them. Now, the details of what Paul and company suffered, written in the book of Acts chapter 16 and 17. Paul and Silas were whipped, bloody, thrown in jail in Philippi uh, for casting a demon out of a girl. And, uh, of course, they were uh, blessed in Philippi. They were able to preach the gospel, and even the Philippian jailer uh, came to Christ and his family Uh, But then they they left, they went to Thessalonica, uh, Thessalonica, and they were mistreated there as well. Uh, But they left fruit there. Uh, They were in Philippi, they were whipped and left bloody. And then they uh, moved on. And again, they sent uh, Timothy back to check on the saints at Thessalonica. And he came back again with the good news that the saints there were bearing good fruit. And Paul and company rejoiced, and he began to write more letters to encourage the saints and build them up and teach them the things of God. Now, let's look at verses three and four. For the appeal we made does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our heart. Now, Paul declares here that the, the, the truth of the message and the purity of their motive. The message is real and authentic. It is not a, an erroneous message. It's not steeped in error. It is true. It is pure. It is authentic. And Paul wants to certainly convince the Thessalonians of that fact. And uh, of course, they didn't need persuading. They had accepted it as a message from God. Uh, but Paul is driving that point home anyway. Paul said, our motives are pure. We're not trying to trick you. We're men of principle. We're men of integrity. People of principle and integrity are becoming rare commodities in the day that we that we live. Um, Paul said, we have your interests at heart. We only want to help you. Uh, people are always trying to sell something or to persuade people to do something, and they Will claim that it that it's in your interest when uh, really it's in their own interest. They they want your money or they want your vote or, or they want something that you have. Um, but that wasn't the case with Paul. Their motives were pure. They wanted to they wanted to bless the people of Thessalonica with the gospel. After declaring the truth of the message and the purity of the motives. Paul declared that they, the messengers, had been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. They've been tested by God and approved as men worthy to carry the truth. Now, it's important to note that only people of character and integrity are approved by God to be ministers of the gospel. Uh, The Bible says that even deacons have to be spirit-filled men of honest repute and wisdom. That's in Acts chapter six, verse six, verse three. Uh, First, uh, no, first Timothy chapter three, verse 10 says, deacons must first be tested. And then if there's nothing against them, let them serve. First Timothy three, two says, a minister, which includes elders, overseers, or pastors, has to be approved or above reproach, faithful to their wives, self-controlled, wise, must have a good reputation with people outside the church, must be hospitable and and able to teach. So men who are approved to carry the the gospel ministry have to have character and be men of of principle. So there is a biblical and moral standard that ministers of the gospel must meet. Uh, There's a standard that they must meet in order to be approved by God. If not, we discredit and contradict the very message we're assigned to carry. The Bible warns not to, um, for, for uh, not many of us to become teachers. That's because we will be judged more strictly. James chapter 3 verse 1 says that. So we shouldn't take it upon ourselves to be teachers or, or preachers. We need to have a call of God on our lives. And if we have the call of God on our lives to carry the gospel message, then we need to live up to that call. We need to to strive to be men and women uh, of integrity and and moral fiber, moral character. Uh, That verse makes me shudder. Uh, The one that says we're going to be judged more strictly. uh, It makes me shudder because teaching is my major gift and I'm striving to live up to to the standard. Verse four goes on to say, We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our heart. Ministers who are people pleasers tell them what they want to hear. Most of the so-called prophets today only tell people what they want to hear. The prophets in the Bible brought good news and bad news. They only said what God told them to say. If your goal is to please God, you're like a mailman. You deliver the message just as it's written you don't tamper with the mail, you don't open the letter, you don't change bad news to good news or good news to bad news, you present it as is. And that's what God is calling for us to do as ministers of the gospel. Now I'm reading verses 5 and 6. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. So Paul is uh, establishing their motivation. Paul's motivation was not manipulation. He was not seeking to manipulate the people. He didn't have some ulterior motive, some hidden motive. His only motive was to bless them with the good news of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, and to bring to them eternal life. He didn't flatter the people with false praise to get them to do what he wanted. They were not motivated by the need to feed their ego or by having people praise them. They weren't trying to dazzle the people with their speaking skills, their oratory, uh, to build a reputation or to, uh, as a great preacher, or to get a big offering or to get invited back. That wasn't their motivation. Uh, their, uh, their motivation was simply to carry the message of God. Now, understand there's nothing wrong with exciting preaching as long as the message is rooted in clear teachings, uh, the clear teachings of scripture and the motivation to win souls and build faith and not to build a reputation as a great speaker. Ministers should stay focused on pleasing God and saving souls. That should be their primary mission and their primary focus and motivation as they're ministering the gospel. As ministers, it's very easy to get caught up in performance. We can easily get consumed by wanting people to like us and, and to praise us. We can easily get consumed in building a great reputation. The devil can switch assignments on us from preaching and teaching to make and grow disciples to building a reputation as a great orator. That's easy to do. We can easily get sucked into seeking the praise of people over the approval of God. And so we have to be on our guard about that. We can prioritize making sure the message, or uh, we, if we're not careful, we can prioritize making sure the message entertains uh, instead of uh, grounding it clearly in Scripture. So it, it's important for us to keep that before ourselves. We need to stop and really check our message and our motive to see uh, what's behind it. Now, Paul also makes it clear in verse 5 that they were also not motivated by greed. They were not out to fleece the sheep or get rich off the gospel. They didn't want to take from the Thessalonians. They wanted to give them the gift of salvation and eternal life, something worth far more than uh, than silver and gold. They didn't abuse or even assert their authority and demand the rights of apostles, but they were so careful and delicate with the faith of these newborn saints. Now I'm reading verses seven through nine. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. So we cared for you because we loved you so much we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we were while we preached the gospel of God to you. Paul says we were humble like little children. We were delicate toward you. We were protected. We were nurturing and caring like a nursing mother with an infant child. Paul is expressing the deep love and tenderness that they have for these newly born Thessalonian saints. When people are born again, the Bible refers to them as newborn babes, and as such, they need to be gently cared for. The pastor and the older members of the church uh, body should be sensitive to, to their delicate condition. Baby saints need to be loved and And nurtured and tenderly cared for and fed and protected uh, by the pastor, the leaders, and by the entire congregation. The more mature saints should set the example for the newborns to imitate. Don't feed them with gossip and, and dirt. Shield them as best you can for as long as you can from the things that will damage their faith. Church leaders have to be careful to model moral and biblical conduct for the sake of the newborn saints. I pastored a church for 21 years and uh, actually a founding pastor. And one of the things that worried me most when we had uh, new converts come into the church and accept Christ, and and they're uh, all tender and delicate and ready to to grow, uh, when I would look up and see one of the newborn saints cozying up with one of the older saints that I knew was a a gossip or or, or wasn't uh, exactly entirely kind, uh, I would be concerned. Now, it's, it's impossible to, to completely separate the babies from them, but uh, you have to do what you can to protect them from people who would injure them and, and teach teach the word and model the word and do the best that we can to, to uh, protect their faith and help them to, to take root and, and grow. Verse 8 says, we loved you so much that we shared not only the gospel, but our lives. Paul and company carried the load and responsibility for their own financial support, so as not to burden these tender baby saints with supporting them. They gave them the gospel, but they also gave them their lives. They worked hard night and day, covering their own expenses so that they wouldn't have to rely on these new baby saints for for support. Uh, They didn't want anything to interfere with the growth of these little saints. They taught them and they showed them how to be true Christians. Now I'm reading verses 10 through 12. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believe. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Paul said we nurtured you like loving, doting fathers. We cared about you and we put you first. Like a father, we encouraged and comforted you. Like a coach, we trained you. Paul urged them to live lives worthy of God and Paul modeled that. Paul said we were careful to set the best possible example by presenting ourselves as models of holiness righteousness and blameless Christian conduct, we set that example for you to imitate. We were careful not to step on your faith by doing something that would confuse or contradict what we're taught. So Paul understood that he couldn't say, do as I say do. Paul had to teach them to do as I do. He had to set the example. He had to practice what he preached. As Christians, and especially as ministers of the gospel, we have the responsibility of practicing what we preach. If we don't, we can overthrow the faith of new Christians. Every Sunday at our church, New Direction, people respond to the altar call and come to Christ. Now, some are sincere and some are not. But every Christian has the responsibility of protecting those new saints by being the best example of a Christian that they can possibly be, to shield them and to to set the right example for them to follow. We don't want to overthrow people's faith by living any kind of way, any kind of ungodly lifestyle that will mislead the people that are coming in. We're called to to live a life worthy of the calling that God has, has called us with. Now I'm reading verse 13, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Paul was thankful to God because of how the Thessalonians had responded to the word of God that came from them. Paul and Silas and company preached the word of God and the people received it as the word of God and not merely as the word of men. When a person hears the word of God and accepts it as just words being spoken by a human being, uh, if they they really accept it as the word of God and not as the word of, of human beings, then that word enters that person's heart and begins the work of salvation and regeneration. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13 says, God is at work in the believer, giving them the desire to obey him and giving them the ability to obey. This is exactly what happened in the lives of the Thessalonian saints. God was working in them both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He was giving them the desire to obey the word of God, and then he was giving them the ability to obey it. Now I'm reading verses 14 through 16. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their efforts to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. The Thessalonians responded to persecution. That persecution that came when they accepted the gospel reminded Paul of how the believers in Judea, uh, the Jewish believers, had responded to the gospel. They accepted the gospel message as the word of God and not the word of men and became Christ's followers, but they were heavily persecuted by the, their Jewish brothers and who had, rejected, uh, who had rejected Christ. The Thessalonians were undergoing that same kind of heavy persecution from their own people, but they held on to their faith, just like the Jewish brothers in Judea had done. They held on to their faith and they continued in the faith. Those Jews, like Paul, who had accepted Christ, were attacked by the unbelieving Jews because they didn't want them to preach the gospel to the the Gentiles and to get them saved. In verse 16, Paul speaks prophetically of the wrath of God, which was soon to be poured out upon the Jews who rejected Christ and worked to prevent others from receiving him. Uh, 19 years later, in 70 AD, Titus, the Roman general, massacred thousands of Jewish citizens, destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, sacked it and burned it, and dispersed the Jews into many foreign lands, and they remained completely dispersed into all the world until recently. In 1948, they were reestablished as a nation uh, in, 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 uh, in Israel. So um, the judgment of God was upon them, and of course that judgment came upon them, and uh, it would continue until the time of the Gentiles comes in, and then of course The Jewish people will be saved, the Bible says, in a day. Now, verses 17 through 20. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. But we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For well, what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Paul speaks of his sudden forced separation from the Thessalonians uh, as being orphaned from them. He conveys his deep feelings of love for them and the, the fact that they continue to be connected to them in in his thoughts. He thought about them all the time. He prayed about them all the time. He prayed for them and held them up in in prayer. Paul is very passionate in expressing his love and regard for the Thessalonians. He said, we wanted to see you so bad that we tried every way possible to get back there, but Satan blocked our way. Uh, Sometimes Satan can hinder us from doing what we want to do even when it's in the will of God. God allows him to momentarily block things. He can even hinder those things that maybe uh, God has sent us to do because God has multiple purposes in the way that he does things, and he brings all things together according to his will. In Romans eight twenty eight, Paul declares this. He says, all, we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So we shouldn't think it's strange sometimes when, uh, even when we're pursuing the will of God, we're trying to do what God said to do, but we're hindered by circumstances. In verses 19 and 20, Paul expresses his deep and intimate love for the Thessalonian saints. Paul established. A number of churches, but his feelings toward each one of those churches was personal and familiar. He related to each one of the churches like a loving father toward each one of his children individually. Paul refers to them as his joy, his hope, and, and his crown. These familiar and, and endearing terms expresses the value he placed upon the saints, his longing to see them, and his desire for their well-being was was expressed readily um, in the words that he shared. Now that brings us to the close of First Thessalonians chapter 2. I hope that you've been blessed by this broadcast. Until next time, God bless. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. We hope this program has benefited you in your Christian walk. For a free download of this program and to browse Dr. Sullivan's books, videos, and audio titles, visit our website, at EmergeCurriculum.com. Please tune into our next teaching session on Vision Stream Network or listen on demand from our podcast. Trust you've enjoyed this teaching. I want you to know that my book, Teach Me About Heaven, it's available on Amazon.com or you can get it at www.EmergeCurriculum.com.